on December 7, 1987, Norwegian fisherman Jan Egil Refstal fell into the icy waters of the North Sea near the city of Bergen. There in that freezing water, his body temperature fell to 75 degrees Fahrenheit and his heart stopped. For the next four hours, his heart did not beat. It is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records as the longest cardiac arrest in history. Emergency medical technicians rushed this unlucky but lucky fisherman to the closest hospital where doctors were able to resuscitate him and he made a full recovery. It's an amazing story. But that story is not this story. The story of Lazarus is more zombie or walking dead than rescue 911. <laughs> Have you guys seen the movie Princess Bride? Do you remember what, the part when they bring Wesley to go see Miracle Max, played by Billy Crystal? Wesley has been tortured to death, but his friends need his help, so they, they go see Miracle Max. And Max has them lie down on the table, and after uh, lifting Wesley's limp arms and tapping him on the chest a bit, uh, Miracle Max declares that Wesley is only mostly dead. <laughs> mostly dead is slightly alive. Jan Refsal, the Norwegian fisherman, was like Wesley. He was mostly dead. But Lazarus is different. Lazarus is dead dead. Or as Miracle Max put it, all dead. Four days dead. Stinky, rotten, dead, dead, dead. This is a weird story. <laughs> Jesus intentionally takes his time getting back to see his friend Someone he loves so much that the message sent identifying him simply says, He whom you love has fallen ill. It shows immense intimacy. If I got the message, the one you love has fallen ill, I might be a little bit confused. I would think of my wife. <laughs> but I am not Jesus. Mary and Martha trust that this message will suffice. It is enough to identify Lazarus, but not enough to make Jesus rush. Jesus does not just take his time getting back to Bethany. He lingers. He deliberately waits until Lazarus is all dead come back and help Mary and Martha. In the four days since Lazarus died, Mary, Martha, and all of the community have held a funeral and mourned their brother for four days. This mourning is not a casual affair. You've probably heard the phrase sitting Shiva. The word Shiva is Hebrew for the number seven. Traditionally, when first-degree relatives die, Jewish parents, children, or siblings mourn for seven days. They sit on low stools, chairs, or on the floor of the house of the deceased. 
Bathing is limited, men do not shave, mirrors are covered, there are no marital relations, and there is no Torah study. The public mourning and burial may not take place on Shabbat. You might remember that bit from the circumstances around Jesus' death and burial. Mary, Martha, and the whole community of people who have loved Lazarus or who are there to support Mary and Martha as they mourn, they are four days into this period of mourning. Four of seven days. Notice, four days. Four days longer. It is longer than Jesus is dead. Yes, we are getting some sense of the story that is coming our way, even though we are still here in Lent. We see that change is coming. Hope in this fourth day is lost. They are in the hardest part of the process, like us toward the end of Lent, or like women who are pregnant in that period from 32 to 36 weeks when you're ready for that baby just to get out. (laughs) Day four of seven, that's when Jesus shows up. It's this passage from Ezekiel, the valley of dry bones. The people say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves. And you shall know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, I will put my spirit within you. And you shall live. So it is with Jesus and Lazarus, where we see no hope, where we see a valley of dry bones, God sees opportunity. Where hope is lost for us, there is hope for God. God can and does work in every situation. In a few moments, we'll baptize little Sammy. I know it's a healing on the Sabbath, but we're doing it. <laughs> Wasn't planning on <laughs> there being respirators, but it's good. Um, it's a beautiful moment in which we honor him and his parents, their family and friends are in our church family, in this greater church family that goes back thousands of years. But it's one of those moments when we step out of the pace of normal life. It's a strange thing that we do. Dressing up a baby, sprinkling him with water, saying ancient words, and marking him with an ancient symbol of capital punishment. What? It's weird. But it's also one of those rare moments where we step out of a life that is focused on us as individuals and start to see the collective. As my buddy Hunter says, it's not a me thing, it's a we thing. In churchy talk, this is a sacrament, an outward and spiritual sign of an inward and spiritual grace. In traditional language of the church, baptism is a death, a death to the way of isolation, death to the way that looks at fame and fortune, to self-indulgence and consumerism for satisfaction. It's a death to what we know is dead. 
as we see in nature. With death comes new life. New life in interdependence. New life in loving God and neighbor. New life grounded in the transformative power of love. That is what becomes of the dry bones. I will put my spirit within you and you shall live and I will place you on your own soil. I love that. On your own soil. You will be grounded in my love. As Paul Tillich says, the ground of our being. You will stand on it, depend on it, and you will call it your own. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act. Then you will know God and you will live into that relationship. When you have been planted in the way of love, you will understand. For Sammy and for all of us here, we return our feet to the soil of the eternal and invite one another to walk. Amen.